sure if that's going to happen. I emailed him earlier um, as there was a bit of a mix-up, and I, I I didn't think we were going to be able to have him on as a guest today. Um, so we'll see. I don't know if he got the email or if he's still going to call in because it, it was on it was like 25 minutes ago. But anyways, uh, Shane Rogers is the host of Midnight Facts uh, for Insomniacs as well as <clears throat> the political debate show Square Off. So uh, we'll see. If not, uh, I have him rescheduled uh, for um, – uh, for the twenty for the show on the twentieth, which I believe is next Friday. So, anyways, uh, we got Sam here and me. It's just the two of us, the original duo, the gruesome twosome. Uh, so uh, we're here. We're here to to make fun of the Seventy Sixers. And uh, what's going on, Sam? Oh man, I just had a whirlwind experience. So let me just tell you why. Uh, you know, uh, we had a little mishap earlier. So, okay. I, uh, <clears throat> my my uh, my buddy out here, he his. Uh, uncle uh, works for the Detroit uh, Free Press. So he gets tickets to every Tigers game, you know? Okay. And he had, today was like a Tiger Stadium pink out theme, right? Okay. So apparently they were giving out, for breast cancer, uh, cancer awareness, they're giving out Detroit hoodies, hats, T-shirts, the whole nine. <clears throat> so his daughter really wanted a hoodie. And he's like, listen, I got tickets. Let's just go to the game. Me not thinking, I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, let's go. Let's stop at a dispensary on the way there. Stop at the dispensary, goof around a little bit, and then I got the call from you. I'm like, oh, crap. And I was like, yo, we got to haul ass and go back. He's like, I wasn't planning on going at the game anyway, so let's go. <laughs> and now we're back. Just okay. got back. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we uh, we shall see. Now, next week is a jam-packed week for the show. We have four guests next week, um, which is it's just crazy. We got Pete Abiata, who's going to be on Monday's show. We got Carl Durden, who is from the Navy Sports Network. Uh, he will be on the show next week. We have all kinds of questions to ask him. Uh, our buddies Tommy and Josh will be joining us on Monday. Monday, ladies and gentlemen, will be the first time ever we've tried this, but since we have two guests, as well as multiple co-hosts, two-hour show, guys, on Monday. Big time. That's huge. That's big time. Big time. It's where the big boys play. So uh, let's uh, let's kick things off, man. Uh, the 76ers, to the surprise of nobody, once again failed, and they lost to the Heat in six games. James Harden looks like a dud. He didn't look. He didn't look good at all. And Bead's calling him out, saying he needs to be more aggressive. I, Doc Rivers, now in two seasons at the helm in Philly, they've lost in the conference semifinals both times. Then he was the head man in the for the Clippers for seven seasons. Seven, and he never made it past the conference semifinals. He had some loaded teams in L.A. When he first took over, it was the Chris Paul, Lob City Clippers. Then the last couple of years in L.A., he had Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done. And now he's in Philly. He's got Embiid. He's got he's got Harden, and they fail once again. So, I, let me just tell you, Sam. Doc Rivers has been a head coach for four now four teams: Orlando, Boston, Clippers, Philadelphia. In Orlando, he missed the playoffs 
Then he went. They lost in the first round three years in a row. Now, mind you, those Orlando teams were the T Mac, Grant Hill, Orlando Magic teams. Yeah, loaded, 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 loaded. They weren't devoid of talent. Okay. Then he started off one in ten and was fired midseason. Then he goes to Boston. This is the first round. Missed playoffs. Missed the playoffs. Then they won the title when they brought in Kevin Garnett and and um, Ray Allen. And let me tell you a little something about that Boston team in 07 and 08. They won 66 games in the regular season. But do you know that their first two playoff series went seven games? They, Atlanta, who was the eighth seed, took them to seven games. Cleveland, who was the four seed, took them to seven games. Then they played Detroit and they beat Detroit in six, and they beat the Lakers in six. But that is one, honestly, they, for a team that was as loaded as Boston was with Rondo, Ray Allen, Garnett, and Paul Pierce, to lose ten playoff games is, is almost unheard of because you never see the really good championship teams struggle to win usually in the first two rounds. Right? It's usually once it's in the conference finals and once you get to the finals. Then after that, they lost in the conference semis, which is where Doc seems to be very comfortable losing. Then they lost in the finals. Then they lost in the conference semifinals, conference finals, then lost in the first round in his last year in Boston. And then Clippers never made it past the conference semifinals. And so far in Philly, hasn't made it past the conference semifinals. Doc has a lot of success in the regular season, but he can't really seem to get it done when it comes. He can't to buy a playoff series victory like if his life depended on it. Dude. Like it's it's kind of crazy because you know going into the history of of you know th- that Orlando team and then you know the Boston teams, you know everyone's always said it that Boston team should have had more than one ring. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, for for the amount of talent that they had on that team, um, they should have had more more than one ring to show for it. And I think partially that's Doc Rivers. You know, it starts from the head coach down, right? Um, yeah, I, I definitely think James Harden is like toast, toast. He's uh, he's definitely going to be exercising his forty seven million dollar contract yeah. <clears throat> player option next year. Excuse me, player option next year, and um, you know that's probably the the most he's going to make because. There's no way in hell Philly's going to re-sign him for, like, a max contract. No I, way. No chance I, in unless hell. They're, unless they're stupid, which you never know. They're I mean, they are stupid because they elected to to keep Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler, bro. You know, yeah. so I don't know. They could have shipped Harris off, you know, instead of Butler to the Heat. You know, they had the option to do so. Now, the thing is, what team is going to want James Harden in a trade? Because everybody witnessed what we saw. You could say, oh, you know what, send him to L.A. Okay, send him to the Lakers. For who? Philly's not taking Westbrook's contract in return. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's the thing. Like, you know, if, if they try to unload him at this point, they will probably get peanuts, you know, because I, I, I don't think there's any team that's going to be like, yeah, yeah, let's go get – James Harden. James right. Harden couldn't cut it with two other stars in Brooklyn, you know. Yeah. They didn't want to play with him. He didn't want to play with them. Whatever it was, it wasn't working. And you know what the thing is? Everyone was saying, like, oh, James Harden, you know, uh, he, he, you know, the Philly made out. They have a second star now. And I'm like, you, you, you must have not seen the last couple of games that, with the Nets that he played for. He looked absolutely horrendous. He had, like, seven turnovers. It was a mess, man. It didn't look like he wanted to play basketball anymore, honestly. I don't think he does. It's the same thing with Kyrie Irving. That whole crew right there, Kyrie and James Harden don't care about basketball. They don't care about winning. As much as we hate on Russell Westbrook, he plays his ass off every day. He might not be a I mean, the fact that he sucks is a different story, right? He doesn't suck. I mean, he's a future Hall of Famer. Let's, I mean, let's be real. He's, so he's also toast. He needs to realize his body can't do the things he used to do five, six years ago. You know, he's got all. He he should have he should have he should have owned a jump shot by now at, with his time in the league. 
No, you're right, because Russell Westbrook is, is how old? Uh, how old is he? 32. Like? You know who Russell Westbrook reminds me of as an athlete? Who? All right, so Westbrook's 33 years old. Okay, sorry, 33. Okay, sorry. He reminds me as an athlete. He reminds me of Roy Jones Jr. And let me let me explain. Roy Jones Jr. at his peak was so athletically gifted. He was so fast. He could hit you with shots that you didn't see coming. He would put his hands behind his back and and then you would come at him thinking you had a free shot, and he would knock your ass out, okay? But as Jones got older into his early 30s, that speed and athleticism started to go away. And Roy Jones Jr. was not a technically sound boxer. He didn't have a good jab game. He didn't, he didn't know how to outbox you. He knew how to be more athletic than you. Now, Russell Westbrook... That can only last so long, right? It can only last so long. Now, Russell Westbrook, on the other hand, great athlete when he first came in the league, would go coast to coast, played with such a physicality to his game, but never developed a shot. He never developed a jump shot. So as that athleticism starts to wind down at age 33... He is not as effective as he used to be because he's not a pure basketball player. Much like – Which is why Chris Paul is still thriving. Chris Paul, Steph Curry, right? Steph Curry still thriving. Chris Paul, these guys, they still thrive because they, they, they know that once athleticism starts to come down, they have other ways of impacting the game. Just like Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins as a boxer is a great example. Floyd Mayweather Jr. is another great example. These guys are pure boxers. And as they got older and their athleticism came down, they were boxers and so good at their craft that they still kept winning fights even at an advanced age because they they were pure boxers. They weren't just relying on athleticism. See, and I, I want to point out, you know, Derek Rose for that matter, you know, he changed his game from being a complete flasher to now a, a very respectable, you know, very respectable jumper, you know. He's, yeah. he's shooting at, at a good clip. His three-point percentage has never been higher in his career than it is right now. And every so often he'll break out the, you know, shimmy everybody into the hoop for a layup, you know. Right. But he used to do that all game. He went from doing that all game to now maybe once every three games. Right, but he yeah. changes games to where, like a team would want a Derrick Rose, you know. Um, whereas a team would be like, eh, Westbrook, yes, I'll take him because he's a future Hall of Famer and all this other stuff. But what is he going to give to my team as a player? Yeah. The Lakers are so messed up for not taking Chris Paul when they had the chance. Well, that was the no, dumbest thing. The, the NBA put the kibosh on the Chris Paul trade. No, 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 no. I'm talking recently. Oh, recently. Before he went to the Suns, he had the option to go to the Lakers, man. Okay, gotcha. And, and they didn't pull the trigger on him because they didn't want to exercise that. It was like a $44 million. Because they, you know, uh, 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 Houston had given him a, this gargantuan contract while still with James Harden. And that's still spilling over now into the final years. But the Suns were the only ones that were like, yeah, we'll pay the $38 million or whatever it is for him. We yeah. feel like it's good. Should have done it, man. Here's one trade that I think could work. Maybe. And it depends on if the other team wants to do it. Because I think the 76ers, while maybe not getting exponentially better, they do, I think, get slightly better. You take James Harden, he's got one year left on his deal, or if he opts back in, all right? And then maybe if he opts in, the 76ers let to trade him. If he opts back in, it's $47.5 million or something like that. Exactly, but hear, hear me out. You trade him to a team. Now, the, problem, the other problem is the 76ers don't have a plethora of picks to, to entice people to take on the bad contract. But here's what I'm thinking. The Pacers are in complete rebuild mode. The Panda has some picks. The Pacers would like to get rid of some contracts that are considered that they consider that's going to hinder them. 
because they're for players that aren't really that they don't really consider as part of their future. Okay, like Miles Turner or Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald. Okay, now Miles Turner only has one year left on his contract, so if they don't want to resign him, don't do it. Whatever. But here's what I'm thinking: you take James Harden and you trade him to the Pacers, and the Pacers sell some tickets because he's a big name. Right? And Indiana's crazy about their basketball, so they maybe sell some tickets. Harden has one year left, and then he's gone, and that money comes off the books. But in return, you send Buddy Heald and Malcolm Brogdon over to the 76ers. You get rid of $47 million or $44 million in those two contracts, which have Brogdon's got three years, and Buddy Heald has two years left. So now, all of a sudden, the Pacers, even though they might not be a great free, they're not a big free agent destination. If you, if now you freed up those contracts, Harden comes off the book after this season. Miles Turner comes off the book after this season. Now that's forty-seven and twenty million dollars. That's that's sixty-seven million dollars. Now you have a ton of money to spend, and now you can rebuild around. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Chris Duarte and whatever other guys you draft in the, in the draft and maybe you can become a player in a couple of years. Meanwhile, Heald is a good shooter. He pairs well, I believe, with Tobias Harris and Embiid. And then Brogdon is a nice defender. The 76ers don't get that much better, but I still think that they're in a better position than they are now with James Harden. I think that's a really good uh, assumption. I mean, that's a good, uh, you know, a good playoff. But I don't know if James Harden will want to play in Indiana. Indiana. Oh, hang on one second. We got our uh, we got our caller. So hold on one second. Hey, I, I apologize for keeping you on hold. Is this Shane? It is. Yeah, no problem. It's just been like a minute. I've been listening. How, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. I, I, I sent you an email. There was a little mix-up with my co-host, and I, I thought I, was, I didn't think he was going to be able to be on the show, so I'm glad you still called in because we still had it going on. So I'm glad you uh, didn't see that email. So I'm <laughs> excited about that because I was going to try to see if you could reschedule. So, But now everything's working. We got our co-host here. So I'm happy that you uh, uh, didn't see that and you're still able to call in. So uh, thank you for joining us uh, on, on our uh, show today. We were just talking a little NBA yeah, basketball. No. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, no uh, problem. Shane, I didn't I didn't uh, catch the email, but I'll, I'll go ahead and disregard okay, that. Okay, no worries. No worries there. Um, so, Shane, you have two shows, uh, I understand. One is uh, Midnight Facts uh, for Insomniacs, and then the other is a politically-based uh, show called Square Off. Yeah, so Square Off is actually – that was with T.R. Smith, and he's had some family issues. He's taken a break from the show. So that one was, was a while back. But, yeah, we did a, a, a politics podcast. He's sort of more, he leans a little more right. I lean a little more left, and so it was kind of a you know a crossfire type situation. But we're both uh, we're both friends. And then my primary podcast is Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, and I'm the co-host on there. And that one's been uh, kind of a juggernaut. It's it's been going really well. That's awesome. Hey, uh, can I ask you, Shane? This is Sam. Um, when does that run? What time? Uh, what time does that run? So Midnight Facts for Insomniacs comes out every Thursday. Uh, and every other Thursday is kind of our standard show, and then we do uh, a what's called After Midnight, which is like um, kind of a show for, for the Discord and for the uh, patron, patrons from Patreon, um, and we put a sample of that up every week. So the, the standard shows are biweekly, but we do release something every week. I might call in to, to one of your, uh, your midnight shows, man. I'm, I'm up late all the time, yeah. all the time. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking to have some guests on our uh, After Midnight show, so that would be cool. So, uh, Shane, how long um, have, have you been doing your podcast? Uh, when did that start? So it started in at the end of 2019, um, so right right before COVID. And we thought, you know, we had we, what we thought was a great plan for kind of marketing it and, and, and you know, I, I do stand-up comedy, uh, or I, I did. I'm kind of getting back into it now post-COVID. But I was, at the time, I was doing a lot of comedy. I was doing, you know, at least four shows a week. Um, and so the idea was, was that it would sort of be a, a venue to, or a platform to promote the comedy 
and it became kind of the opposite. Now, if anything, I'm sort of starting to do comedy again to sort of promote the podcast. Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of how it started was right before COVID me and another kind of, uh, brand new comedian who's been a friend of mine for a long time and was just starting out in comedy at the time, uh, used the podcast as, as kind of a promotional tool and then it became its own thing really quickly. That's awesome. Um, that's, um, how, how did you, how did you work on, uh, building your audience for, for the podcast? So, we, you know, when we started, we thought we had a game plan. We really thought we were prepared because we, you know, I had a, a bit of a, a fan base, just a, a small one at the time, but, um, but, you know, we did, there were people that I could kind of reach out to. So we had maybe a couple hundred people that were sort of listening in the beginning. And then the plan was to promote through shows. I was doing at least four shows a week, you know, typically at the comedy clubs in the, in the Bay area, we'll have, you know, around a hundred people per show. So you're getting out there to, you know, 400 people per week who then can become advocates and promoters of the show. They become fans. So, you know, I had all these stickers printed up and I did a couple shows and handed out stickers and it started going really well. And I think I did two weekends of shows, uh, before COVID shut everything down. And so we, when oh, we started man. the podcast, it was right when COVID hit. And so we had to pivot to a totally digital strategy. I mean, there was no going out and handing stickers out anymore after that and, and doing shows. So it was, uh, it was a different, uh, different ballgame all of a sudden. Well, I applaud you on being able to uh, kind of shift gears uh, in a very unexpected time. You know, when COVID hit, nobody knew what to think or – I remember thinking we're going to be in lockdown for five years. And so like, uh, yeah. being able to pivot, to pivot your strategy, uh, that's, that's awesome. Um, so being in stand-up comedy, do you, are you mostly kind of like in the, in the club scene or like, do you go to like, uh, like, like places like, uh, the funny bone or, or just the local comedy clubs around the area? Yeah, so there are there's kind of a little circuit in California that I was doing. I didn't do a lot of comedy out of California. I did a little bit in New York. I flew to New York and, and had a chance to do some cool shows there. Um, but beyond that, okay. I mean, there is you can kind of just do a circuit. We there's the comedy store in L.A. There's the Improv down there. There are there's the Improv in San Jose here, and then the Live Nation clubs, which are um, the Punchline and Cobbs. And then in my area where I live in Santa Cruz, there's DNA's Comedy Lab, and then over the hill there's Rooster T Feathers, and so it was just a lot of a lot of driving. I mean, I put up a lot of miles on my car going from show to show, and you could just oh, sort of do the circuit here. Um, and it was yeah, it was really fun. You know, it was there was always something going on, and then there's all these little indie shows that are really fun. There was this thing called Comedy Machine in Oakland, which was this little competition that you could do. You know, every, like once a month I would stop in and do this little mini competition and you would do rounds uh, through the course of one night. You would do like four or five sets, depending on how well you were doing. And I won it probably 10 or 12 times and you would get a couple hundred bucks for winning. And so it was just this oh, wow. cool sort of com community that you would just cruise around and do a bunch of different shows and everybody knew everybody. And, uh, and you know, that's all changed. I mean, we we had to completely build our audience through online marketing, through Instagram, and then really through leveraging the audience that we had to become the marketers for us. And that is, you know, if there's anyone starting a podcast, that is my advice is as soon as you have a following, reach out to them, become, you know, get, get involved in your communities. We have someone who runs a Discord channel for us, and there are a few hundred people in there always talking about the show. And we hop in there and say, hey, guys, this week we're, you know, we want everyone to get the word out. And we'll send people a, a T-shirt or something if they, you know, if they send us a picture of the, you know, of how they were able to promote the show. And so it's really a matter of kind of leveraging your fan base. But, yeah, it's, it's a different world. You know, comedy has not come back the way I hoped it would. It's starting to. But my two favorite clubs in the area, DNA's Comedy Lab and Rooster Two Feathers, both have, looks like, shut down completely. Punchline came back, but it's, it's not what it was. It's just... It's interesting, you know, it's, it's a different world. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, sorry, one second. Sam's call dropped, and I'm trying to. I'm going to try to dial him in for just one second, uh, Shane. So give me two seconds. I apologize. His uh, his he's having some technical issues. So if it goes silent for like a second, uh, it's just me calling him in. Okay. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Sam, are you back? Are you back online now? Yeah, I'm sorry, bro. That's okay. All right, so we still got Shane on. Uh, so. Uh, Shane, what are uh, who would you say your top five favorite comedians are? Ooh, that is tough. I've been asked that before, and I I don't think I've ever given the same answer twice because every time I think of someone okay. new, um, <laughs> that is that is that's really hard. I would say you know I have some kind of, some kind of standbys that I think just because they were so foundational to comedy sort of have to be on that list. Uh, George Carlin okay. is. So it was probably one of the first comics that I got into when I was younger. And um, and then, you know, Richard Pryor, I became a fan sort of retroactively. Obviously, I wasn't around when he was doing his thing. But right. uh, just going and seeing kind of how he laid the groundwork, he, he was just amazing. Um, and then it's I not – yeah, it's a little controversial to say, but uh, Louis C.K. was probably the reason I got into comedy back before all the allegations and everything. I mean, he was just – He's just a juggernaut. He's just amazing to watch, and, and everything he does is, has been funny. Um, I, I, and then beyond I, 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 that... Sorry, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. No, I was just saying I 100% agree with you on Louis C.K. Uh, but, yeah, go ahead. Finish your... Uh, yeah, finish your... Uh, round out your top five. So there's another comic that probably a lot of people don't know, but um, when I was... He was huge uh, when I was, like, a little kid, and was a clean comic and so I could watch him. Um, and then okay. he tragically committed suicide. It was like a bit, it was really sad, but his name was Richard Jenny. And he was, uh, he was what? an actor as well. He was in, in the mask yep. with, uh, with Jim Carrey. And, and, you know, so he had a lot of success and he had a couple HBO specials. Have you heard of Richard Jenny? I have. I have. I remember him. I remember reading, uh, he committed suicide. What, it was like eight or 10 years ago, wasn't it? It was a while back. It may have been that's, yeah. that might be right. It might have been a little longer than that, but yeah, um, okay. it feels longer than that. But I, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that was that was really sad because he was foundational uh, for me. And then probably, you know, after that, there are so many great comics that I that I sort of got into after becoming involved in comedy, you know, Greg Giraldo and there were just all these guys who sort of, yeah, I was a big Giraldo fan and, you know, another comic who had a tragic end. I don't know. I don't know what it is with (laughs) some of my favorite comics. None of them have uh, are alive anymore, I guess, except for Louie and and he's not, (laughs) he's not doing great. So uh, maybe I have something for comics who either die or, or, you know, fall from grace, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, with Louis C.K., I, I, I don't know if you listened to his latest album, the one that won the Grammy, um, but it's hard for me to listen to him in the same way that I used to. Uh, I, I was such a big fan of his. I, I You know, I think my favorite special that he did or the favorite album he put out was called uh, was, was Hilarious. Um, and Shameless was yeah. pretty good, too. Uh, but... I had a hard time now because I'm just thinking of this creepy guy jerking off in front of women in the dressing room. And I just, I, I, I can't listen to him in the same way that I used to. And I, I love Louis C.K., you know, and like him, for me, like him and Dave Chappelle were like my two favorites, right? And then there's a lot of other guys that I, that I respect a lot. A lot. Um, one of the newer guys that I've kind of, gotten into recently andrew shoals who does the flagrant two podcast um andrew shoals i i I like a lot as uh but uh as far like for lewis ck man i just i don't know if that affected you at all like if you listen to his new stuff or if you listen to his new album and you kind of feel like i i I don't find him as funny as i used to you know i haven't even listened to the new one and i still i was on his um his email list for a long time and so i would get these notifications and i actually removed myself i mean i i'm not i i think that's my issue is that i don't think i would i would be able to put aside 
everything that's happened and just listen to him and enjoy it the way I used to. And I'm sure I would still find him funny. I mean, you know, you don't stop becoming funny just because you did right. some, some bad stuff. But I think that it's it sort of tainted for me, and that would be tough to listen to. And I, I do find it to be a complicated issue. I mean, I feel like in a lot of his older stuff, the seeds of that were there. I mean, he talked a lot about, you know, getting in an elevator and, like, jerking off and, you know, his, his obsessions with sex. And um, so it's not like he was – it's not like we couldn't have seen that coming, I think. And sure. I, I also think that, you know, it, it's an interesting situation because – there is – it's the power dynamic that's the problem, but he certainly was honest about the fact that he was kind of a creep and wanted to, to do this. And so it, it's a weird situation. There are a lot of gray areas. I think, you know, I have a lot of comedian friends who sort of feel like he was unfairly kind of targeted and persecuted. There's all the people who are, you know, cancel culture, et cetera. But I, I do think that my issue with Louis at this point, to be honest, is that he hasn't really apologized. He hasn't taken, you know, he did kind of the perfunctory apology that sounded like it was written by a publicist, but he doesn't seem like he really understands that what he did wasn't okay. And I, I think yeah. if he had just come out and, and been really penitent about it and, and really said, wow, I, I messed up and I need to change and I'm going to take some time. And if he had done that and done it the right way, I think it would have been okay. I think I would feel a lot differently. And I think it was just the way he reacted to it that I have a problem with. I just felt like okay, this guy not only did some things that weren't okay, he's just someone who, who doesn't understand what is right and what isn't. So that was my issue with Louis, and, and I just kind of got off the Louis train at that point. I want, I want to keep my memory of all the things that I enjoyed about him intact, and I don't really need right. to engage with him going forward. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's a good, it's a good way to be, you know. Uh, you know, not looking past his transgressions, but still having memories of, of the good ideas when, when before all the crap went down. So that's, that's a good way to kind of compartmentalize things. Um, so I know you also do, you were saying you do some political talk uh, and that you're more left leaning. Um, I, me, I'm also kind of, I'm down the middle, but I consider myself a little, a slightly more left. I think Sam, you're, I don't know which way you're going these days I, I, I sometimes it feels like you're more left-leaning than other times i feel like you're you're skewing right a little bit i mean i don't know it's it's uh i hate to uh pick a uh generalization um of my political stance because it's going to continue to change as you know what the world continues to you know evolve you know there's going to be different things that are going to be happening, and, and you, it's up to you whether you want what kind of lens you want to put on to to see it happen, right? I yeah. still think that like our government as a whole. No offense to whoever's listening, but you know, I, in my lifetime, it's done a little bit of a shit job. Not, I'll be honest with you, and I'm 36 years old, so you haven't done re you really haven't done right by me, you know, because I happened to fall too late for the tech boom because I was too young to make money on it. And then, you know, uh, whatever, I'm not going to get into it, but you know, uh, it, it'll change. It'll always change. And, you know, I, I you know, I just hope that, uh, you know, people's best interests, you know, the right, the right interests, you know, are, are, are the topic of conversations when you're thinking about something like that. So, um, Shane, how, you know, Looking at the landscape of things, how, how do you envision the 2024 election playing out? Well, I'm I'm worried about it. I think, you know, luckily we have some time for things to change. I am definitely a centrist, although I fall a little bit to the left. And I think, if anything, I'm sort of more of an anti-Trumper than I am even anti – like, I'm not necessarily – there are a lot of Republican principles – and conservative principles that I at least understand, if not agree with. Um, but sure. I, I tend to skew a little bit more left, but mostly I think I'm just anti-Trump. I just don't understand, even if you're a Republican, how you can support this particular person. So for me, I'm just, I'm, I'm pretty worried about it. Uh, I think if the election were held today, I think Trump would win. I think there's a lot of, yeah. you know, obviously in, inflation is, is really scary right now. People are upset. Um, we're still not fully out of COVID and it seems like there's not 
a clear path forward. It seems like, you know, we don't have, I think leadership is failing us when it comes to COVID. We need to know, you know, we need to make a decision as a country. Are we just moving forward? Are we moving past this or not? And everything feels like it's up in the air right now, but, but that's, you know, that's still two years away and we've got, we've got some time. I think it's going to be a bloodbath this November. I think that the Republicans are going to sweep. And then I think that there will be a swing back hopefully toward the other side but we'll see. I mean, also, we have two politicians in Trump and Biden who are extremely geriatric at this point. Yeah, and they, either of them they could ha- Yeah, I mean, either of them could have a health problem between now and then, and it would be a totally different landscape. So it's really hard to say, but I think that right now things aren't looking good, but that's two years away. Um, yeah, I... I think I read something where Biden's I, – I think – because I, I know they're in their upper 70s, but I think Biden's going to be 81 come 2024. And I see, I don't I, – I, that's one thing. Like, there has to be some sort of age limit as to what – I don't know, man. Your mind, your body, everything slows down. At like, And you're trying to tell me that he's completely coherent in making decisions for the entire country. I find that hard to read. Um. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, you touched on this briefly, Shane, uh, but do you think as a country, are we at a point now where we're just – you still think it's up in the air, but so you don't think we're at a point where we're just, where we're just managing COVID and living with it? You think that we're, there's still not a clear direction, that it's still kind of wishy-washy? Yeah, I mean, even here in California, in Northern California, I mean, there are some stores that still have a mask policy. Some don't. Um, there are still kind of people clashing about whether or not, you know, they should. Obviously, not everyone is vaccinated. There's a lot of uh, – it's just a time where I think everyone is sort of splintered and, and there's no clear direction. And I would like to see – us, I would like to see us decide that we're moving forward to say, okay, we're going to open up the country. The vaccines have been out long enough. If you wanted one, you have had the chance to get one. You are, you can be vaccinated and boosted by this point. And if you're older, you can be double boosted. So you had your opportunity to get vaccinated. And, and, and at this point, if you are immunocompromised, continue to stay at home. That's fine. I think there should be some support for those people, but everyone else, let's just, I'm ready to go back to life and, and and move forward. Well, uh, yeah, the, the really the frustrating part is every time it seems like, hey, we're through the worst of it, it kicks us on our ass again. Like, you know, I think it was early March. Omicron was starting to wane, and we're like, oh, you know, everybody's had to have caught it by now. We've had this shit for two two years. There's no way either everybody's vaccinated or they've caught COVID, it feels like. And now here we are with cases rising again as the new sub-variants uh, arrive. But, uh, oh, um, and, I want to – Yeah, I mean, and the problem uh, is I don't think we're okay, ever go. going to – you know, we're not, we're not ever going to be in a point where COVID is completely gone. And so I think we need to accept right. it. Like, okay, there's a certain amount of risk. And, you know, I'm, I'm vaccinated and boosted. My wife has had it three times, and she's vaccinated and boosted. But she, she just has a terrible immune system. And – I have never caught it. I've been, I've, you know, I've been with her through all three times that she's had it and I haven't gotten yeah. it. And, and she believes, she believes that if she hadn't been vaccinated, she wouldn't have survived it. Cause she's had it pretty rough despite being vaccinated and okay. it three times. So at this point though, you know, I just think you can't avoid it. I've obviously been exposed to it quite a bit and I just, you know, I've, I've, I've been lucky, but at this point, I think we're not going to be able to just get to a point where no one has it and where it's not a threat. So, we need to sort of decide what our tolerance for for this threat is. And I think at this point, uh, what the ramifications are of not getting back to normal. And I think it's time to start to start making that call. Yeah. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's past due time. We, we've been in this for pandemic for now for over two years. And uh, I mean, I, I'm just just for you know a, a thought right when when the when influenza came around that was pretty much the same thing until it became common right you know so I think as with time as time goes on you'll sort of start looking at this COVID booster shot whatever like a flu shot yeah. take it yearly whatever there's some changes in the variants sub variants 
whatever the case is, now this shot will cover blah, 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 right? So I think it it, it should normalize. I mean, we're, we've been, you know, at, at its – we've been at hostage pretty much. At, we've been, you know, held hostage by COVID for the last two, three years, right? Yeah, we really have. Um, it, it's ruined everybody's lives. I have a son uh, who's three years old who – spent the first two years of his life basically in indoors and not around anybody. So uh, he's just now starting to experience going to the zoo and being out on the playgrounds and doing other things. Uh, but I, I want to thank you, Shane, for uh, popping on the All Bases Covered podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time and joining us. Uh, we've loved having you on. Uh, you know, honestly, if, uh, we'd love to have you on again down the road. Uh, I think you've been a great guest. Uh, I want everybody uh, listening to uh, check out uh, the Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. Uh, Shane, uh, it's been wonderful having you on, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it, and I'd be happy Thanks, to come It was on a here. very, very thoughtful conversation, uh, thought-provoking. You know, uh, it was really uh, a breath of fresh air to have you on the show. Thank you again for joining, Shane. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, thank you. You too. So are we going back to James Harden and his, and his cheesesteaks that he's chomping down on? <laughs> the James Harden cheesesteaks? No. Uh, we actually uh, – that was a great interview, man. Um, and I'm glad that Shane did not see the emails. Uh, so we, we were able to still have him on the show today. That was uh, that was fantastic. But uh, I want to break down real quick because we got about 18 minutes left in the show. Um, so – I want to ask you, NFL schedule was released on Thursday, okay? It was uh, released Thursday evening. We, uh, there was, I, I thought that the NFL missed a lot of opportunities. Um, I thought the wrong games got put into the primetime slots. And then I also thought there were some teams that just flat out kind of got the shaft. The short end of the stick, yeah. Short end Jets of the stick. did. What's that? Jets did. The Jets did. I thought the Bengals did, too. I thought that the Bengals... We have to see you week three. What are you talking about? You guys made the Super Bowl last year. What's that? I said you guys made the Super Bowl last year. We have to see you week three. Yeah, but the reason... It's tougher for us than it is for you. The reason I say that we got the short end of the stick is the games, they're all mostly on the road for us, okay? We, they had us up for the Thanksgiving Day game, okay? But uh, against Dallas, but instead they scheduled that for week two instead of Thanksgiving. And on Thanksgiving Day, we'll get Dallas versus Philly, which, you know, because we've never seen that before. But, you know, I'm looking at some of these Sunday night matchups. Chicago, Green Bay. Oh, Dallas, disgusting. Dallas and Philly. Uh, fuck, you know, um, meanwhile, you got, like, other shit. Like, it's just the same old teams. Now, week six, week six. Cincinnati travels to New Orleans. Guess who Guess who played college ball at LSU? Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Guess what? They took LSU to a national title. Took them to a national title. And that's not – that game is being played at 1 o'clock, which is new. Oh, no. That game is at 1 o'clock at noon central time. Meanwhile, the Sunday night game is Dallas at Philadelphia. Oh, now, come on other games scheduled for that week besides the Cincinnati New Orleans the Borough Chase homecoming you also have Buffalo at Kansas City yet you went with Dallas and Philly as the Sunday night game the same week you got Buffalo Kansas City and Cincinnati and New Orleans as well as Tampa Bay at Pittsburgh you went you went Dallas and Philly come on Come on, NFL. Like, what are you thinking? Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I the Bengals, obviously, I knew they were going to have a tough schedule. Um, I knew that the, – and they have the third toughest schedule based on last year's record. And they play a first-place schedule, and that's what happens, right? That's why we see so much parity in the NFL is because – Teams that finish in first place, they play a tougher schedule. And I so I I right now have the Bengals same record as last year, going ten and seven. Okay, 
uh, as I went through the schedule, I actually have high hopes for the Jets. I have the Jets, and I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I have the Jets improving significantly, and I have them going. I have them going seven and ten this year. Yeah, seven and ten, I can see, but seven and ten is still not enough. It's not, but I think they need. I think they, they need, need a lot more. But like again, if if the Jets had a little bit of an easier schedule, right? Um, yeah, I could see. The Dolphins and the Bills and the Patriots six times, I think that's tough, right? To mention that they also have to play the AFC North, which is the Bengals, the Ravens, the Steelers, and, and the Browns. And that's, that, that, that's, that's what, ten games right there that are, that are super tough, right? You can then, make the rest of them easy, right? But no, they aren't easy. No, they're not because they also have to play the uh, who is it? The, and is it the they got to play the they got to play the NFC North. That's the Packers, the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions. Okay, now Detroit, not much of a tough game. I don't think Detroit's going to be that great. Jacksonville, Seattle, Seattle's going to be terrible this year. Uh, Jacksonville's going to be improved. You know, but, yeah, it's not an easy schedule for the Jets by any means. It, you know, if they win seven games against that schedule, that means they're probably going to beat a few teams that they shouldn't beat. Uh, you know, and they beat the Bengals last year, and it could happen again this year. But this time I believe it's at – no, it's in it's in New Jersey again. So, uh, but the Bengals, man, their schedule. I mean, last year we also had Mike White start against you. Right? That's true. That's true. But the Bengals are the kings of making shitty quarterbacks look like all pros. So, uh, but, <laughs> but the Bengals, we got to play not only our own division, but we we got to play Dallas. Uh, we got to play at Tennessee, Kansas City, at Tampa, at New England, and Buffalo. Yeah, that's but, that's that's atrocious. atrocious. So here's the thing: our first two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Our first nine games are manageable. Okay, it's Pittsburgh at Dallas at the Jets. And you're expecting, like, a severe regression from, like, worse than last year from Pittsburgh, correct? I don't think so. And here, I'll tell you why. I know they got Pickett. I know they got Trubisky. Trubisky's not really proven as a starter. Pickett, we don't know what he's going to be in the NFL. But fucking Mike Tomlin won eight games with goddamn Mason Rudolph at the helm. And that defense is so good. The defense is really good. I still think whoever – I, the way I picked the games this year and looking through the schedule. They still have T.J. Watt. Oh, dude. The fourth-place team in the AFC North I had finishing 9-8, and eight, and that's what I have Pittsburgh finishing at, 9-8 and eight, and finishing fourth in the division. I have Cleveland also at 9-8, and eight, but they're third because of a better division record than Pittsburgh. And then I had Cincinnati at 10-7, and seven, and I had Baltimore winning the division at 11-6. and six. I think if, if, if Deshaun Watson doesn't get suspended or he's only suspended for like two or three games, Cleveland's going to be very difficult to beat. But 12 games, then I think Cleveland's maybe winning five or six games because I don't think Baker Mayfield is going to want, put forth any effort to, to be there for Cleveland after what they did to him. Okay? I, I don't even think that, that, that Cleveland would, would play him, actually, because really? – because they are on the notion that he's going to he's gonna make them look bad. Yeah. And he has even less trade value than he did before. Yeah. So, you know, I want to ask this real quick before we kind of uh, move on. We, we got about 10 minutes left. So I want to uh, go on. There's two things I want to talk about before we, uh, before we go on, before we wrap up. The last thing is I want to ask you is, uh, and it's, it's it's local because it's about the Bengals, but I saw Vegas odds gave them the third best chance to win the division behind the Browns and the Ravens. The defending AFC champions were picked with the third best odds to win their division. I don't know. I don't know. Something about that. Something about that doesn't sit right with me. So I think I think Vegas. See, I had this conversation with a buddy of mine just yesterday. Like Vegas, really knows how to play toy with people's emotions. Vegas might know that these guys might win it again this year, right? Yeah. But but if they, if they if you give them, you know, odds that are not so great, right? Um, you know, 
there's maybe less people that they'll have to pay out to. That's true. Or the money comes pouring in on the other way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or they, 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 they as, as soon as they go on like a seven-game game winning streak, all of a sudden those odds are different, right? Exactly, obviously. Or if they start the season off like five and one. Correct. Like, uh, but, um, all right. Uh, so moving on from our little football, we didn't get to really go over Jerry Judy getting arrested. That doesn't really move the needle that much. Uh, there was a stiller. I wasn't sure how long the interview was going to go with Shane, uh, but uh, he was very engaging. So that that was really good. Um, so coming down the stretch here, Top Gun Two comes out next weekend. I'm super excited. Don't know how super excited you are for it, for it. But I want to debate with you. Will Top Gun 2 be the best sequel that came out 20 plus years after the original? Like, so, let me preface this by saying we've seen some sequels that came out that were surprising sequels or we, we didn't think we would get a sequel. But we saw Dumb and Dumber 2 come out with Jeff with uh, Lloyd Daniels and, and Jim Carrey or Jeff Daniels, sorry, Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey. That came out 20-plus years after the original one. It wasn't very good. Coming to America came out over 20 years after the original one. Uh, There's been a few other movies that had sequels. I don't really count Anchorman in that, but Anchorman 2 came out, I want to say, like 17 years after the original one, so it was a long time. But some of these sequels that come out so far after the original one, they don't seem to hold up because they're trying to hold on. People still have fond memories of the original, and the sequel that came out so so long after, it feels like a bit of nostalgia, and then people are comparing it to the original one, and it doesn't it doesn't hit the same notes. Whereas, like if a sequel comes out three four years later. People look at it almost as, like, its own kind of movie and or, like, a run of a franchise or some sorts. But, like, when you have a sequel tied to a movie that's, that, that comes out 20-plus years later, it, it feels like it doesn't hit the same notes. No, I definitely agree with you. And, and I, I wouldn't say, like, this falls in the same exact category, but when Harold and Kumar, the first, you know, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, they yeah. made the second one, like, a solid eight, nine years after. Um, Did Guantanamo Bay come out? that long after yeah it was a while though it was a minute before they came out with Guantanamo Bay and then even longer before they finished up their their Christmas uh, Barry Harold and Kumar Christmas or whatever it was the last one that they made uh they they again spent a lot of time in between uh I I don't think see when you spend that much time in between a blockbuster or a cult classic or something like that you lose the ability to engage those people at the same level again. Now you have to do as good as the last, or if not better, to engage. But as uh, as co-host and 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 acting producer, I, I have to tell you that uh, Harold and Kumar came out in 2004, and Guantanamo Bay came out in 2008. It was only four. Oh wow! Years. It was only and, four years. Yeah, and then, uh, Harold, and then Harold and Kumar Christmas came out three years after Guantanamo Bay. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I was wrong. But, I mean, people are still waiting for a beer fest, too. That never happened. That's right? true. Yeah, that is true. So that 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 is another movie. Like Super Troopers, though, how long was Super Troopers out between the original and the, and the sequel? Because that was a while, wasn't it? Yeah, it had to be close to ten. Um, again, I was wrong with the other two, so I could it could be five. <laughs> so 17 years between Super Troopers. Yeah, that's a long time. That is a long time. And the second one, although I did feel like the second one wasn't bad, but I, I felt like the it didn't hit like the first one. But um, I am excited for Top Gun 2. I think there will be a bit of nostalgia to it, although the early reviews are very good. I think the early reviews on Rotten Tomatoes has a, like a 96%. So it could be. Yeah, this, this guy that plays uh, uh, Goose's uh, son. son. Um, he was in War Dogs too. Yeah, well. Miles Teller is a very good actor. Good. He's a good actor. Yeah. So, Brock- I think he was in a, he was in a couple of uh, um, war movies, no? I don't remember, but he was in that uh, Bleed for This, where he played Vinny Paz. He was also in the Fantastic Four movie with Michael B. Jordan and Kate Mara. Uh, right. So he's been in a lot of stuff. He's a real talented actor. 
Um, but, yeah, I, I'm excited to see it. I think uh, Shrey and I are going to go see it in the theaters because, you know, even though I get shit on Plex very early, um, I feel like I'm going to uh, – that's one I want to see in the theaters. So, um, last thing. Uh, I've been telling you about this show, Sam, uh, Winning Time on HBO, which is the rise of Showtime and the Lakers dynasty of the 80s. They're talking about a season two to kind of cover some certain different elements that they didn't really get to in season one. And I was thinking, you know, how cool would it be if they made winning time kind of like an anthology series and each season focused on a different sports dynasty. That would be really cool. Granted, not all sports dynasties are entertaining. You have to have entertaining characters like the Lakers had Pat Riley and Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, you know, Jerry Buss. But I, there was, there's two that stand out to me that I think would make for very interesting documentaries. One is the 90s Cowboys and that dynamic between Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson and then Michael Irvin and the drugs and Emmitt Smith and Troy Aikman. I feel like that would make for an excellent show about the 90s Cowboys. And then, obviously, I think if you did a winning time and you focused it on Michael Jordan and the Bulls and the dynamic with Jerry Krause, and Phil Jackson, and then the early, the first dynasty with, uh, you know, the first three-peat with Horace Grant and everybody, then he leaves, and he goes to play baseball, tying all that in to one show. I think those two, those two make, would make an interesting, I think, story. Is there any other dynasties that you think, if they were to cover, would make, would make for good TV or entertaining TV? Um, I think, uh, you know what? Uh, uh, I, I would I, I would make I might say the like one of the Shula led Dolphins teams. Okay, in the seventies. Um, yeah, in the seventies. Yep. Okay. Um, and I might want to add like uh, the John Madden led Raiders. Okay. He was okay. John Madden was like a like a supreme character, man. Like he yeah, smoking and cigarettes on the field and blowing smoke in, in players' faces and it's crazy. Yeah. He did a lot of nutty stuff. So. Uh, I think those two are kind of cool. But then you have, like, um, if you want to go international, man, there's so many things you can probably even go down, you know? You can even do, like, then start. In America, though, if you did, like, some kind of soccer team, uh, you know, like. Not really a soccer team. You could do a player. Okay. A recognizable player, like David Beckham, for instance, you know? Yeah, but I think the the idea with winning time is having it focus on, like, dynasties and teams and how they were built and some of the internal complications that, they had and went through to overcome stuff like I think that's what makes entertaining focusing it on one person would make it feel more like a biopic than than anything I, I don't know that's just my two cents on that I don't know how that would play out comparatively but um, I mean I, yeah I mean in that sense then you could still go teams but I don't know I just feel like you're grabbing a, a, a broader audience you know Oh man! Uh, well, I, we should I, do a winning time on NWO or something like that. Oh no, that would be cool, right? That would be that would be entertaining. Uh, that would be kind of cool. Um, that that would be something that would be that would be uh, a fun watch. I also think uh, doing it for uh, college teams like like the Hurricanes. Oh yeah, would, for sure, for would sure. Be, be entertaining. Uh, that's a lot. Of, there's a lot of storylines there. Came, but. Uh, Oh, man, it's been a great Friday, uh, Sam. I'm glad that you were able to make it on. I'm glad that Shane didn't read his email and <laughs> so popped on. That was great having him. I, I you know, I uh, hope to reschedule him down the road, especially uh, I, I think, you know, uh, come what this November when there's the elections coming up, like close to October, November, I think he'd be fantastic to have back on during that time, especially with his knowledge of the political landscape. But uh I do want to thank uh, Shane of the Midnight Facts for Insomniacs uh, uh, coming on. Definitely check him out. It's been a great Friday. we got a jam-packed show on Monday, guys. Uh, feel free to call in at 563-999-3761. Two-hour show on Monday. It's going to be a blast. Um, so uh, get rest, rest up this weekend, Sam, because uh, Monday we're going all in. All bases covered, man. All right, buddy.
right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in on uh, on our Friday show. And uh, take care, and we'll see you all on Monday. Thanks, everybody. It's blacked out, blacked out When you don't have all this to cover All this to cover